0: Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke.
1: Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name's David Pembroke, and welcome to this week's edition of In Transition, the podcast dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. This week, our guest is the social media lead for the Australian Red Cross who is an impressive journalist who has done amazing things. But before we speak to our guest, it's time, as we do each week, to define just exactly what content marketing is as it relates to the public sector. So here we go. Content marketing is a strategic, measurable, and repeatable business process that relies on the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So to our guest today, it's Isabel Oderberg, the National Social Media Lead for the Australian Red Cross. Prior to that, she was the National Social Media Editor at News Corp Australia and Australia's first social media editor for one of the country's biggest newspapers, the Melbourne's Herald Sun. She was the founding news editor of the Business Spectator and later interviews editor and China commentator. She was the lead mining writer for AAP, a beat reporter for Dow Jones Newswire in London and she also had a stint on the online desk at Reuters. Isabel Oderberg, thanks very much for joining us in transition. Thanks for having me. You've been very busy accumulating lots and lots of experience in, in the last few years. What's really interesting you at the moment in terms of the creation and distribution of information and content?
0: I think that, you know, we saw as, as we saw the advent of social media and, and, and especially online technologies as well, in the in the in, in in any industry where you have news dissemination, I mean, you know, in the not for profit, in the news sector, everywhere, we saw this move towards really um, really overcomplicating the delivery system to, to um, the audience. And now we're seeing it simplify again and people try and figure out really simple ways to tell Uh, compelling stories online. And I find that fascinating. And I think it's a really positive move.
1: So in terms of that, that's a really interesting insight. Just explain, or perhaps if you could give an example of a transition from a more complicated environment to that more simplified approach and, and why it's working more effectively for you.
0: Well, it's interesting, like if you look at the area of data visualization, which is where you you sort of you take a story that's that's in data, any kind of data um, and you organize it into a visual format, so that might be you know an animated graph or you know it could be a, a multitude of different things. but we got to a point with data visualization, it was all the rage, and it was they were getting more and more sophisticated. but the problem is that the the audience was sort of saying, well, hang on a sec, Like, I don't need five layers between me and the story that the data is telling. I want to be able to actually absorb the story quickly and in a straightforward way. And now we've seen a real pullback in the data visualization space where we're actually trying to get that story across using data in a much more simple, straightforward and clear way. Um, so so that would be an example of what I mean. It's sort of journalism for the audience rather than journalism for journalists.
1: Okay. Now, in terms of your career, you had a great career working in the media, but now you've jumped the fence and you're working for a non-government organisation. I'd like to take you back to that time of consideration where you were in the media, but then you were obviously starting to look around and thinking, okay, I've got these skills – I can imply them somewhere else. So just if you might just give us that sort of that story as to how you made the change from working, you know, in traditional media and now working as a journalist for a non-government organisation. I
0: think that um, it's interesting to me because, um, you know, people see journalism as, as um something more complicated than it needs to be. Ultimately, journalism is content handling and storytelling. And those skills can be transferred to a number in a number of different ways. Um, I had been working in newsrooms for whatever, 17, 18 years. Um, the news industry was getting me down. I felt it was a very difficult place to be and a very difficult place to make progress. And I had been thinking about for a long time how those skills, where those skills would be transferable to, and the not-for-profit sector is something that I've always had an involvement in. I've been volunteering since a very, from a very, very young age, um, and social justice and volunteering was something that always I was interested in. Um, when I decided that I was going to leave News Corp um, and the news industry the traditional news industry, I should say, for the foreseeable future um, in, a, in a full-time capacity, um, the, n- the not-for-profit sector was a very um, simple choice for me because it was where I had always gravitated um, in terms of my interests. Um, but there has been a real kind of boom in the non-journalism sector, I would say, or the non-news industry sector, where we've seen private organisations that have direct access to information taking that... Information straight to audience. Um, Obviously, you still have a media strategy and you still, like, none of those things change, but the advent of social media means that we can develop our own audiences. A really good example of this would be ANZ, who have an internal newsroom now and they treat their content like news and they give their content straight to the audience, as well as the more traditional kind of media. Routes and whatever, um, and Australian Red Cross is where I work now, and and I felt there was a really um, good opportunity to take the stories that they that they have about what they do and the important work that they do in so many areas, and actually develop our own audience as well as using the traditional methods of information delivery, um, and it's paid off. You know, we have a really really strong social media audience now, and we value their contribution.
1: I think as much as they value the stories that we have to tell now. When you applied for the job or you were approached for the job, do you think the organisation, the NGO, the Australian Red Cross, understood what they were doing when they were recruiting an experienced journalist?
0: I think they did, and I think they do, and I think, I mean, it's. I have an interesting role because I'm half based out of the digital team, which is marketing, and then I'm half based out of the media and communications team, and that's really, I mean, the fact that they were recruiting that role into those two teams really shows that they understood um, the, the the sort of the way that social media works across several areas. Um, so, yeah, I think I think they understood, but the interesting thing with social media roles is that there isn't necessarily I mean, you'd have to talk to my boss if you wanted to know exactly what they were looking for when they initially placed the advertisement in wherever they, they wherever they did, but. To me, if I'm hiring and when I'm looking at roles, there is no traditional kind of CV for someone who works in social media. There are people that come from an, a, a sort of storytelling and information background like me. There are people that come from an advertising background, a marketing background. I mean, it's it's a question of finding the person who has the broadest, I think, the broadest um, experience, but who is open to working with all areas and open to learning. Um, social media is like a constant process of learning. So um, it's, it's, you don't ever put all your eggs in one basket when you're recruiting in this area, I don't think. You have to be really, really broadly open to who comes to you and what skills they have and how they're transferable.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree that that skill set really, you know, it, they could be, you know, coming from anywhere and increasingly we're finding that the appeal is in people who've got you know, a science, technology, engineering and maths background who can really work hard around the data side of things. Certainly the, the data can help you to drive and give, give you those insights that you need to create the stories, but increasingly to be able to drive the tools and, and to make those channels perform for you.
0: Yeah, and I and I don't think I think there are a lot of industries that are, that are comparable. You know, in journalism, we, you know, there's always a debate over: do you take a writer and teach them how to find a story, or do you take someone who has a natural ability to find a story and teach them how to write? I mean, you know, as long as the person is open to learning and can demonstrate an ability to do that I mean I'm I'm definitely not a math brain but I recognize the importance of data in terms of understanding the audience and insights into the audience and I'm always willing to learn so I'm never going to be a data analyst I'm not actually interested in being a data analyst I'm a a storyteller (laughs) but my stories my, my the way I tell my stories is is underpinned by my use of data. That's the difference. And, yeah. But I am always open to learning and I'm always open to doing another course in, you know, how I can deep dive better into analytics. So, you know, and, and also it's about using, you know, looking around the organization that you work in and seeing where those skills are. If there's someone who's an experienced data analyst and I feel that they're going to be able to go over my data and give me a better insight, great, I'll do that. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's social media is not for one person. It's a cross organisational um, mandate.
1: Yeah, and I, I think this is the you know, and I'd be interested in in your views on this. I was only listening to a podcast as I was driving to work this morning, and there's this, you know, these these artificial distinctions that we're you know looking at the different tasks and activities that need to be completed. But there was discussion as to whether or not that's PR's role or whether that's marketing's role or whether that sits in the web team or whether it sits in the digital team. I tend to think that all of these constructs that are in place are actually going to all disappear. And it's all really going to just morph into a, you know, a single responsibility for a group of people to build trusted relationships from which you can then achieve business objectives, whatever they might be.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. And I think it also depends on the background of the person that's leading that sort of social media charge because you do have to have someone who has oversight, um, not in any kind of management, necessarily in a management sense, but more in a in a kind of an ability to be looking at the social all the time and monitoring what's going on. But, you know, it, it depends on who that person is, what their background is, and how the organisation is structured. I certainly... I. I think that there, there probably is no service area at my organisation that don't think they own me in some way. <laughs> um, so, you know, and that's great because what it means is they all feel like they have um, a little bit of a stake yeah. in what I do, which well, is exactly how I want it.
1: Yeah, well, they see the value. You're obviously yeah. helping them solve problems. You're, you're, you're helping yeah. them create value. So that's a yeah. good way to be.
0: Yeah, now, I have to keep reminding people I do have two bosses. I don't actually <laughs> need any more. <laughs> okay. Two is quite enough. Thank
1: you. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in your transition, though. So you came and you started at, at the Red Cross. You've come out of a newsroom with all of the, you know, the practices and the processes and the cultures and other things. Take me back to that time when you started just under two years ago. What did you find and what was difficult and what was easy?
0: I think probably the difficulty was more around some of the elements that I loved around the newsroom that I had to adjust for. So, you know, in the newsroom when you need something or when something has to get done, it gets done within minutes. <laughs> um, that doesn't happen in other workplaces. So I had to kind of um, slow down a bit and, and and understand that they're much more other, other other workplaces are a lot more careful and considered um, they don't sort of like they don't say oh well, we need this so we need it yesterday which is which is very much a newsroom mentality and it is necessary you know in certain contexts um, but I think also like I've learned much more um here about being more strategic and more considered um, in the way that we do some of our planning, um, the news industry was a really difficult place to be. And it was, and you just couldn't look more than six months to a year ahead because, you know, people were being made redundant. There were restructures. We didn't know what the future model looked like in terms of financial model for journalism. Was it going to be subscription? Was it going to be advertising? Was it going to be native advertising? You know, there were all these question marks over the – and there still are, quite yeah. frankly, all these question marks over the news industry, whereas the industry I work in now is, is a lot more stable, and we are able to look sort of two, three, four years ahead – and while obviously any strategy that we put in place has to be flexible and dynamic, because that's what social media is, um or ha- you know, and we have to we have to mirror it, at the same time, you know, um we we do have the ability to make to to plan a little bit further ahead because we have a much better idea of what the future looks like, you know.
1: Yeah, indeed. Now, in terms of some of the quick wins and the places where you were able to add value quickly, what are some of the examples of things that you were able to introduce that helped the Australian Red Cross quickly?
0: Definitely empowering people on the ground um, and services areas, like the areas of the organisation that actually provide direct services to clients to identify what makes good social media content. Um, it was like an educational task really. Um, and it's not that they didn't know. It's that we'd never really provided a huge amount of training for them previously. Um, because my role was a new role when it was appointed. Um, so it was a case of going to the service areas and saying, this is what makes good social content. Um, this is what we look for. Come to us with your stories, come to us with your wins, come to us with your, you know, and I don't think anyone can truly appreciate until they're, Until they're actually inside this organization, how big it is, it is enormous. And the amount of work that they do is so interesting and so varied and so, you know, so um, uh, compelling um, that, you know, it's our job, it's my job to tell that story. Um, and it's a big story and there's so much content out there to be had. Um, So, you know, it it was a question of empowering people to be able to spot what makes a compelling story about what we do um, and not being frightened because we we have very, very strict guidelines around things like child protection and privacy and all of those things Um, and I think people would nervous, oh, are you going to take a photo of my client and put it on? Of course we're not. We we do this in a way that completely maintains integrity. Um, But it was an educational piece, and it was really fun, and it was really exciting, and it's worked. You know, we get a lot more, um, a lot more content coming our way now, a lot more stories to tell, and we're proud of them that that they have these wins, and we want to tell our supporter base about it. You know, a good, good examples of when they've managed to, you know, we have a tracing service that traces, um, helps families trace family members that have been separated by war or crisis, and across, sorry, that's internationally or, or nationally, but mostly international, and they have wins. They have people who have been separated by yeah. horrific war um, who who they can bring back together and put back in touch, and wins like that, I don't even think, you know, a lot of people don't know that that's something that we even do. I think they do more so now than they did um, before the age of, of you know, before we, we ramped up our social presence. Um, but um, we're incredibly proud of that sort of work and we want to have a space where we can demonstrate that to our supporter base.
1: Yeah, that, those sort of reunification stories, it's almost the ultimate emotional human story, isn't it? You know,
0: yeah. se- separated think- by
1: war and then bringing back. Together. Yeah, and I
0: think that there's sort of like there were misunderstandings around, you know, but that you'd have to have a photo of the client and the client's traumatized and doesn't want their photo. We don't need a photo of anyone. We can just put that up as a line of text. Yeah. And it's just as powerful. You know, um, and and that's where the education piece was. You know, we don't we don't need. It's not a brochure. It's 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 a way to update people in real time about the work that we're doing and the wins that we have. So that is, and ed- the need that we have.
1: Yeah. Okay. So just take me to those that those education sessions and training sessions when you've got a group of people sitting in front of you. Just give me the sort of shorthand version of what the advice is and what the education is.
0: So we have different styles of, of like depending on who it is and their comfort level with social and a whole lot of different factors. Like it really depends on who it is and how I run the session. Mm-hmm. So it could be anything from a coffee at a cafe where we just talk about social all the way through to a meeting with five people where I've got a laptop in front of me and I'm taking them through the page and the way our processes work or to um, what I've been doing in the last week, which is I've been in Canberra and at our our branches in Canberra and Tasmania where I'm actually giving, for all intents and purposes, like a workshop lecture style session where I'm actually pulling up examples of what works and what doesn't work not just for us, but for our competitors, for our peers, for organisations that are completely in a different space to us, but yeah. I think have learnings that we can that we can absorb in our own work. So you can't be too prescriptive about how the training takes place. It's a lot about the comfort level of the person that you want to, to educate.
1: But ultimately, I think activating the you know the staff, activating the network that you've got, has really got to be where that high value is going to be created. Because again, you know, you can do what you can do. But if you've got a team of, you know, 30, 50, 100, 1,000 who are eyes and ears looking, identifying and, and helping you to create that content, well, you're obviously going to be a lot more effective.
0: Yes, and I think it's also a question of letting our Red Cross people lead the story that they want to tell and telling us what stories there are to tell. I am not... A social worker. I don't work on the ground. I want people. I want those people who are doing that job to tell me what I, what story I yeah. should be telling. Um, and and so and that's the that's what being a good storyteller is. It's not about being prescriptive about the story you want to tell. It's about finding the story that's out there and letting other people lead you to it because you don't know everything there is to know.
1: Yeah. Now. Is your process, though, that those people who are in those service line areas, that they bring their information back to you and then you publish? Or do they have publishing rights to your p- platform as well?
0: No, they're, 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 we work slightly differently. So I work with the media and communications team. Every services area has its own media and communications representative. Yep. Um, some cover more than one area if it's a slightly smaller area. Um, they. I work very much hand-in-hand with them. Um, and together we develop the content um, because it is their services area that they are managing in a media and communication sense. So if a person has a piece of content that they think is worth bringing, they may bring it to them, to the, sorry, to the media and comms representative. They may bring it to me or they may bring it to both of us at the same time. Uh-huh. Either way, the process is that we work on it together. And then we go through our approvals process, Um, and then it is generally the media and communications person that will publish.
1: So take me through the approvals process. How onerous is it for you to be able to publish?
0: It's not at all. We've streamlined the processes. We have very, very clear um, uh, reporting lines Um, and it is, it can be, look, you know, if it's not urgent, I'll give it a couple of days for approval to come through. But generally speaking, approval is almost instantaneous now.
1: So that, but what are the threshold questions that people have to satisfy for the approval to be activated?
0: Oh, look, it's it's just – it's not – I mean, I don't think that necessarily that the managers who are approving it are so, are so prescriptive about having, you know, a, a set of, of, of ideas that it has to meet. It's more just a question of um, ensuring that there's no other context that we're unaware of, That you know. It's, I mean, I don't think that our approvals process or the process that they go through in approving is any different to any other organization um, that, you know, has an approval process in place. So I certainly wouldn't want to be putting out um, content without the head of media and comms knowing what was going out, even as a courtesy. Yeah. You know, um, we put out about three posts a day on Facebook, any number of tweets. Um, I want her to be engaged in what we're putting out and because she has a much greater idea, I guess a greater visibility of what's going on across the organization and context is everything with social media. So she's the right person. Uh, She's incredibly savvy and, and brilliant and she's the right person to say oh no there's something else that's yeah. going out this week and and you know we should wait on that because otherwise it might get confusing or whatever the case may be.
1: So understanding that that person is um, not only savvy and brilliant but also very busy and lots of other responsibilities and other things to do how do you then ensure that she's got that comfort that she obviously doesn't want to be looking at everything that goes out no, because she doesn't need no, to. But no. what what's the structure or framework that you've got in place from a planning point of view that has given her the confidence to know that, okay, Isabel, just get on with it? Like, is it a monthly and calendar is it a...
0: No, no, ultimately there's, there's two media and comms um, teams. There's two teams within media and comms. There are two managers. They approve at the first instance, uh, depending on which team uh, the contents come out of. It is only escalated in the case of, um, you know, issues that are potentially um, things that we think she should have greater visibility over, um, and otherwise, she is just CC'd in so she can see what's going on.
1: And then when you're reporting, how often are you reporting back up the line about your activity, you know, the conversions you're achieving, um, the value you're creating? How often are, are you reporting? Weekly. Weekly, yeah, Okay.
0: Uh, and I also do a monthly, a monthly deep dive analysis um, of us and our peer group.
1: Okay. And what sort of um, a peer group? Meaning, competitors or notional competitors?
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I I'm very tentative to use yeah. the word competitive. Yeah. It's sort of. It's not quite the right word. Yeah. I mean, other. I'd say other other organisations that operate in this space.
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, peer, peer is a nice way to look at it. Really. That,
0: yeah. That, I mean, that, I I definitely feel more comfortable with the word peer because yeah. we, no one does what Red Cross does. So yeah. we can't. You know, if if we're doing if if so much of our work is unique to Red Cross. Then we don't really have traditional yeah. uh, competitors in the traditional sense, yeah. you know? So I would use the word peers, yeah.
1: And in terms of your dashboard, what are you reporting against?
0: Uh, it depends on the report. Usually we're reporting against our own numbers. So usually we're reporting against, we're looking for constant improvements in our own performance. So that's how I'd
1: describe it. Yeah. So activity based? Mm, I would
0: say engagement based rather than okay. creative posts if that's what you mean yeah yeah okay yeah i mean we're looking we're looking to engage as many people as we can in issues that we think
1: are important and getting them to do something to to act whether it's a
0: sometimes yes sometimes no
1: just inform- just information. You know, as a...
0: Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like our international humanitarian law section, like for instance, we're doing a lot of work at the moment on healthcare in danger, like with the bombing of medicines, frontiers, hospitals and things like that. We've been posting about healthcare in danger. Um, and that's about getting public support for something that we see as absolutely crucial to humanitarian assistance. We don't necessarily think they're going to, you know, there's nothing they can physically do, but they can be aware of it and they can rally for that, for that, to be, a, to be um, more prominent on a national agenda basis. But, you know, sometimes it's about educating the public about things that are really important. Mm.
1: But ultimately, all of your activity is connected to some sort of business objective, overarching business objective that the Australian Red Cross has.
0: I would say, I'm um, sorry to be you right, I would say organisational objective because obviously we do, yeah. we do fundraise. Um, we want people to – we can't do the work unless people donate. That goes without saying. But our objectives, not all of our objectives are based around financial incentive. No. Um, sure. So I would definitely say organisational objectives. Yeah. We're, not a, we're not a business, so I wouldn't say business objectives.
1: Okay. Very good. Okay. Now, um, a couple of minutes left. What's the future? What, what um, and in just for the audience's benefit, um, Isabel is six and a half months pregnant, so she'll be going away for a little while to have a little one, and then obviously she'll be back at some point in time. But if you think about that, if you think sort of you know 18 months, two years down the track, what are you seeing, and what are you thinking um, is going to be happening? I think that one of the
0: kind of um One of the areas we're going to see um, some progress in is, is analytics. I think that, you know, Instagram, for instance, is becoming more important in terms of reaching younger audiences, but they have no analytics to speak of, uh, no available analytics. I think we're going to see that changing because if they want to attract advertising, they've got to give us analytics so we know whether it's worth spending money on the platform. Um, and there are a few other platforms that are like that as well. Um, so I think we're going to see more insight um, for sure. Um, I think we're going to see... Um, I think the, the, the actual... Uh, News industry in Australia is changing. We're seeing more entrants. We're seeing more varied content um, and different ways of delivering it, and I think that's only going to get better and better. Um, and But mainly I think my future holds dirty nappies and <laughs> quite a lot of early mornings. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, if it's I'm inter- being honest. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting though, isn't it? The world is going to spin so fast that by the time you come back, it's going to be, oh, really? Is that... Uh- yeah, look, and,
0: I, and at, at this stage, I'm aiming to take quite a, you know, not not too long off. I'm hoping for something like six months. Um, before I come back, but um, but I'm actually looking forward to getting off the merry-go-round and seeing what happens um, while I'm not here, and coming back to a fresh a fresh new start in what I'm sure is a space that will have shifted yet again. It shifts every week, let alone over six months.
1: But I think that the key thing is, though, the audience you know is is your foundation, isn't it? You know that's not going to change. You know telling stories is not going to change. You know, connecting with people through you know emotional stories is not going to change. Ultimately, we're still people. You know, the context and the delivery and the this and the that. You know, all around it, the sort of mechanical architecture that sits around it, but really, at the essence, is it, it's about people and about you know engaging with people.
0: Yeah, and and everyone in the news industry uses the line content is king, and it's terribly trite, but it's absolutely true. Um, if you start at the very n- sort of nucleus with an interesting story that's compelling and makes people feel something. People always say, what, what, what works on social media? What works? And I say, well, to start with, it has to make me feel something. It has to make me feel interested. It has to make me want to learn more. It has to make me laugh, cry, sob. I don't know what, but I have to have a reaction to it. And if I don't, then it's a waste of my time and I'm not going to spend any more time engaging with it. I'm not going to share it with my friends or whatever. Um but you're right. Like the absolute nucleus of everything is a compelling interesting story and w- Australia's full of them. And the thing is as the news industry shrinks and there are less people in that industry telling these stories, um we as a as an, a non-news industry organization have the ability to tell some of those stories for ourselves. Um, and we can, we have them, we just have to put them out there and that's what we've been doing and it's working beautifully.
1: Well, Isabel Odeberg, thank you so much for being very generous to give us some of your time today uh, just to really discuss what's going on there at the Australian Red Cross and to reflect on your insights into this fabulously interesting and changing non-news world. I really like that. That's, um, I haven't heard anyone talk about the non-news world before. Maybe that's something that we can start to, uh, to build out as well. So uh, just uh, uh, for the audience, how could people perhaps learn more about you and learn more about the Australian Red Cross?
0: Uh, the Australian Red Cross website is redcross.org.au. And in terms of me, I am at Yodeberg on Twitter, and I have a website, which is isabeloderberg.me So feel free to get in touch.
1: Okay, fantastic. Isabel, thank you very much for your time, and good luck with the dirty nappies. Thanks so much.
0: You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.